Hello and welcome to the Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. I'm the Digital Engagement Director, Chloe Roges. We're so excited you're joining us for week 13 of Masterclass, the Gospel of Mark, as we learn about the coming of the Kingdom of God. Jesus came to us with the future in mind. He always knew the purpose of his earthly ministry, and he knew the ultimate victory would be won on the cross. But what will happen afterward? Will Jesus come back, and when? What will happen in those days? Scripture holds the answers, and now let's search for them together. Good morning, church. My name is Jacob. I get the honor of being the discipleship pastor here at Rolling Hills, and we're going to be continuing in our master class series today. And I'm going to start by talking about a master in his field that I think hopefully will help us more closely follow our master and study his word. There was a guy named John Boyd. He was a fighter pilot, and in his being a fighter pilot, he was also a colonel in the Air Force, and he's developed some ideas that moved outside of the Air Force. They've adapted it to other branches of the military, even into the leadership field, even to some boardrooms, and even to some churches of a decision-making tool and also a learning tool. And he developed this tool in the cockpit of a fighter pilot because in that setting, it is a complex and fast changing environment. You have to make split second decisions. So he created a loop for you to take in information quickly, observe what's going on and make decisions at a fast pace. Because in a military environment, we know from the book Art of War, which is one of the greatest military strategist books ever, it says all of war is deception. You want to deceive your enemy and make you think, make him think you are doing something you're not and disguise what you are actually doing so that the deception leads you to get to the end goal. This tool that John created was so us, we can filter the information, pull away the deception, find out the truth and make the next best step. It's called the OODA loop. And it's called the OODA loop because it's observe, orient, decide, and act. So in this setting, you observe everything you can learn in the quickest amount possible in the cockpit. You're learning, you're observing everything going on, you're being watchful of your surroundings, and then you orient yourself and process that information that you take in based on what you already know. This is what I know about the plane that he's flying. This is what I know about the pilot, his cultural background. So you process everything you know through the lens of what you just learned. And you take that information, so you observe, you orient, and then you decide based on what I know, what I learned, what's my next best step. You decide, and then you act on what you should do next. But the thing I want you to see is this is not just a one, two, three, four, I'm done. It is a loop. Once you observe, once you orient, and then you decide, and then you act you observe again, see what, what, how do they respond to my action? What should I do again? This is an ever going loop of decision-making. And the reason I tell you this this morning is because 
a few things. One thing, I, I use this in decision-making as a, a leader of a team. I use this in team settings of how we make decisions because we do live in a complex and ever-changing world. So we use this in a, in a leadership setting. I also use it to study the Bible. I think this is a helpful tool, tool for how we study the Bible, how we observe what we're reading. And then we orient ourselves to what we know. And then we decide based on some information and being formed by the Holy Spirit, how I should act next from this passage. But I also think it is a helpful tool in our discipleship of ourselves and of our families and of those around us, that we should be continuing this OODA loop of observing, deciding, orienting, and acting. But here's the thing. We're studying a very difficult passage in the Bible today. And the re- one of the reasons I wanted to show you this, because often when we study a passage like this, which is focused on end times, a lot of people get stuck in a different type of loop an OO loop. They observe what the text says. They orient themselves to what they know. They make a chart and graph and go back and observe and look at the chart and look at the graph and go back in this loop of OOO, but there's never any decisive action on it. But what I want you to see today is in any prophecy, any end times past, especially with Jesus talking, the end goal is never looking to the end. The end goal is discipleship till the end of us moving forward in Christ's likeness. So as we study this passage today, we're going to go through this OODA loop as we study because the reason he designed this for him to learn in the cockpit, to grow in the cockpit, and thrive in the cockpit. What I think for us is we're going to learn from the text. Hopefully we'll grow from the text and hopefully we'll thrive from the instruction that is given. So when, you, when, we, when we dive into this passage where I said there's, there's a lot of difficult uh, things here, we want to first observe, which is reading the text, and then we orient ourselves to what we know. But I want to show you something really quick. As we get into this passage, the reason why this is such a difficult passage is because first thing we want to see is orient ourselves to what genre we're reading. So we know the genre of a gospel is a narrative genre. It's a narrative story telling. But what makes this passage so difficult is because there's multiple subgenres just in this one chapter. It starts with a dialogue of Jesus talking to other people. Then it moves into um, this discourse of uh, apocalyptic or prophetic literature. And when we, when we move into that, we know that in prophetic and apocalyptic literature, there's lots of figurative language, poetic language. And we want to filter that through when we're reading, like, is this poetic? Is this literal? How do I process this? So we want to understand the genre. Then Jesus gives us one other at the end and ends in a parable. So we go from dialogue, narrative dialogue to apocalyptic and prophetic to a parable and then a command at the end. So we have a lot of different things we want to process through. So we want to understand what genre we're reading. And then we move into context. And what I mean by context is this. So my, I have four kids. My youngest, I have three sons and, a, and an eighth-month-old daughter. My youngest son is four years old. His name is Zeke. And sometimes I have difficulty understanding what he's saying because he has a deep voice. So he's kind of like, like comes in, just kind of mumbles a little bit with his deep, mostly when he's sad. So he comes in. I'm like, I don't understand what you're saying, buddy. I I don't get that. So what I do is I begin to say, okay, what are the words I understand in this sentence? And I hear a word and I'm like, okay, how can those other words of what I do understand inform the ones that I don't? 
And then I get a little closer to what he's trying to say. And then I'm like, okay, maybe I need to look deeper into his historical context. What did he just do before he came into the room? That'll help me inform. Like he was in the living room. Maybe there was something there that'll help me understand what's going on. So I begin to look deeper into this context. And then I bring in another resource. I bring in my nine-year-old. Oh, I know he was in the room with him and he knows the context. So let me bring him in. I'm like, Jude, what is, what is Zeke saying right here? And he was like, and Zeke says it again, and Jude's like, oh, he says he want to put a crown on a frog. It's like, oh, cool. That's awesome. Why is that? Oh, because we're in there. We were playing with the frog. But what I, what I want you to see is two things happen there. I wanted to understand the context of the sentence. What are the things around the words I didn't understand so I could understand the parts that I didn't? And what just happened before he came in so I can truly understand better the context of what he's saying. And also, I brought someone in who has spent a lot of time with the person that I couldn't understand, and he can interpret him better. And that's what we do with Scripture. We want to understand the context. We want to understand what Jesus just got through doing. And we know in this passage we're about to read, Jesus had been teaching in the temple for a long time, and he's about to leave the temple in this passage. But I want to, I want to say this really quick. This is a resource I put in your notes. People ask me all the time, hey, I want to interpret the Bible. I want to study the Bible better, but I don't understand the genres. I don't understand the context. I don't understand how prophecy is different than a psalm. This book right here, 40 questions about interpreting the Bible by Robert Plummer. He was actually my Greek professor in seminary. It's very easy to read. It's a great resource. I always have it right beside me when I'm studying uh, a passage. And also, if you don't have a study Bible, grab one of those. Those are just two easy resources you can have beside you as you're studying the Word. So what we're about to do is I'm going to do something a little different. There's 37 verses in chapter 13. I am going to just read all of them. And you're like, oh, this is going to be boring. I promise you, this is very active content. But look, I just want to say this. Me reading these verses are more important than any words I could say out of my mouth because this is the living, true, and active word of God. So what I want you to do is as I read this, it's going to be on the screen as well, read through it. But I want you to look for three things. In a passage like this, you want to find out what's the descriptive piece, uh, what, what is being described here. And you want to find out what's the predictive piece. Where are the places where something's being predicted for the future? And what is the prescriptive piece, the the part where we're being prescribed to do something. So the descriptive, the predictive, and the prescriptive. So this is what the Word of God says, starting in verse 1. Deep breath. All right, here we go. As Jesus was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. Do you see all these great buildings, replied Jesus? Not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, and John, and Andrew asked him privately, tell us when will these things happen, and what will be the sign that they are about to be fulfilled? Jesus said to them, watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name claiming I am he and will deceive many. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginning of birth pains. You must be on guard. You will be handed over to local councils and flogged in the synagogues. On account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses of them. 
and the gospel must first be preached to all nations. Whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand about what you will say. Just say whatever is given to you at the time, for it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. Brother will portray brother to death and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. Everyone will hate you because of me, but the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you see the abomination that causes desolation standing where it does not belong, let the reader understand and let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the housetop go down or enter the house or take anything out. Let no one in the field go back and get their cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and nursing mothers. Pray this will not take place in winter because those will be the days of distress unequaled from the beginning and when God created the world until now and never to be equaled again. If the Lord had not cut short those days, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect whom he has chosen, he has shortened them. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Messiah, or look, there he is, do not believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. So be on your guard. I have told you everything ahead of time. But in those days, following this distress, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from the sky, and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, people will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory, and he will send his angels and gather the elect from the four winds of the earth to the ends of the heaven. Now, learn this lesson from the fig tree. As soon as the twigs get tender and the leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happen, you know that it is near, right at the door. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. But about the day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, only the Father. Be on guard. Be alert. You do not know when that time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge, each with their assigned task, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, we need your help. We need your spirit. We need your guidance. We need each other to help us understand and learn from this passage so we can observe and orient ourselves to what we know, Lord, and we can decide and we can act like you in the world. And we ask all this in the holy name of Jesus. Amen. So let's look at this. This is this is all the things I just read. There's a lot of things going on here. You see, Jesus foretells the destruction of the temple, signs of the close of the age, the abomination of desolation, which I'm pretty sure is probably a heavy metal band somewhere, the coming of the Son of Man, the lesson of the fig tree, and no one knows the hour of day. Let's start here, just briefly run through these uh, and give you some points really quick. Jesus foretells the destruction of the temple. Like I said, in the context, Jesus has just gotten through teaching in the temple and they are leaving the temple and the disciples come to him and be like, hey, Jesus, this is pretty awesome, this place right here. Look at this magnificent stones. This is, this is pretty cool, right? Expecting Jesus to be like, yeah, it is cool. Instead he goes, hey, not one stone from this temple will be laid. All of it will be destroyed. And you can imagine these guys were like, say, what? The temple? And I, just, for, just for looking, they're, at the, they're on the Mount of Olives looking over at the temple. And just the visual aspect of this would have been massive. Let me give you just a size comparison so you can see what the temple was like in, in size. So 
This is Solomon's temple, the first temple that was built by Solomon. You can see it in compared to a uh, football field. That temple was destroyed, but this is Herod's temple, the temple that Jesus is talking about. So look at this football field. If you put it in the middle of this temple, you're basically looking at Nissan Stadium. I mean, this place is massive. So when Jesus said, it would be like us sitting across the river from Nissan Stadium saying, that place is going to be destroyed. Not one stone will be left on top of the other. This was a big deal for him to say this. In fact, just when he says those massive stones, some of the stones were bigger than this screen that we have behind us to where you look at them and say, how is that even possible that they made a stone in those ancient times? So this, when Jesus said this place is going to be destroyed, not one of the stones will be left on another. It was a really big deal. In fact, it was such a big deal that not only was he saying this magnificent thing that you could see from ever, it was more than just a place. It was what it represented. It represented the old way. It represented the old sacrifices. It represented the old process, the old thing they looked to for hope because Jesus was saying this is going to be destroyed because there is a new hope. And I am he. That there is a new hope. But what we have to decide before we go to the rest of these things is when you're looking at prophecy, you have to ask yourself these questions. Have all of these prophecies been fulfilled, one, or are all of these going to be fulfilled at a future date? Or a third option we'll talk about in just a second. So as we look at the destruction of the temple, we know from looking at history, specifically uh, from Flavius Josephus, which is a Jewish historian who writes all around this time and has a lot of great content. Even there's a part where he talks about the beauty of the temple, which is fascinating to, to read. But we know that in 70 AD, 40 years after Jesus predicted that the temple we destroyed, Rome marched in to the city, destroyed the city, and destroyed the temple. What Jesus predicted happened 40 years after he predicted it would happen. So we can say, yes, we know that this part has happened before. Then the next part, it says the signs of the close of age. The, the disciples with, with good reason say, hey, Jesus, hey, when? Okay. When are these things going to happen specifically? I want to get my stuff together. I want to know. And what does Jesus do? The thing he always does is never give specific times, but gives them the point of the prophecy. He says there'll be, there'll be signs of the closing age. There'll be wars. There'll be rumors of wars. There'll be earthquakes and famines. And many times we think, oh, that's the sign of the ends of the age. He says, no, don't be alarmed. That is not the sign. You'll think it's the sign because when you see the destruction of the temple, you'll think the end has come. You'll think this is the end, but he's saying, no, these are only signs. These are only the beginning of birth pains. This is just the beginning. And then he goes on to say there's going to be persecution. There's going to be persecution, going to be brought before synagogues. You're going to be brought before councils. Families will be separated. Uh, families will turn against each other, and you will be hated for my name. Then we get to the abomination that causes desolation. Once you get to that part, this is Jesus saying he's quoting the prophet Daniel, a previous prophecy, and he goes in to say that there will be someone in a place they don't belong. They will desecrate the temple. It was something unholy in a place that's supposed to be unholy and claim to be what they are not, claim to be him. And so when we, get to, when we get down to here, we have to ask the question, 
have all these things been fulfilled because lots of scholars, there are some scholars that say they have all been fulfilled because the signs of the close of age, you can, there's earthquakes that happened in the first century that connect back to, uh, from Pompeii to famines, to wars of rumors of wars. Right before the temple was destroyed, there was rumors that Rome was going to come in and destroy it. And they did. The abomination that caused the desolation could have happened when they destroyed the temple, that it was made, they desecrated the holy temple. So it could have happened here. So it has all of this happened or is all of this future and has yet to happen. Some believe that, that that it's all future to happen. But there's a third option, which I uh, tend to prescribe to, and it's this, that all of these things have happened, but also will happen in the future. That they were prophecies of something in the disciples' times, but also in a future time, that there were were types of prophecy for the beginning and the end because there was persecution. We read the book of Acts, we see horrible persecution of Christians by Rome all the way from the destruction of the temple to Rome becoming Christian. You see persecution of Christians. You see families that were torn against each other. You see um, sons and daughters, they said, we'll Unless you give up your parents, we're going to kill you. And they give up their parents and their parents are put to death. You see this happening. So you see all these things happening. But we also believe that all those things, because they're so common to Christianity, persecution, that they will and possibly will be a great tribulation that happens in the future. But then we get to this part, a part that we know has not happened, the coming of the Son of Man. Jesus has not returned. Though the disciples, I can almost guarantee you, when the temple was destroyed, when they were facing the persecution, they were thinking this must be the end. He must be about to return. But I want to say this just as clear as I can here. Jesus will return. I know it seems like an unreality to us because we're so far in the future and he hasn't returned yet. But I, could, I know one thing for a fact, if I know anything, is we were closer today than we were then. That Jesus will return one day, that it is a reality. But the scripture says why he hasn't come is because there's still work to do. And we'll talk about that in a minute. Then he goes to the lesson of the fig tree. And you're like, Jesus keeps talking about fig trees. The reason why he keeps going to fig trees is because all other trees in this culture, they all stayed the same all year long. The fig tree was the only one that lost his leave and changed in the season. So it made itself ripe for an illustration. But the thing I want you to see here is in this illustration, as he talks about leaves falling off and things fading away, he gives us one of the most beautiful pictures in all the scriptures that everything will fall away except for the word of God. That all things will fall away. Temples, trees, everything will be gone except for the word of God. And he gives that to us so we have something to tether ourselves to. And then he says, no one knows the day or hour. So like, okay, Jesus, you've told us all these things. They asked for specifics and you said no one knows the day or hour. And you even gave a parable about it so we would understand it less. But here's the thing. When you get to scripture, you think, This people who take everything in prophecy, literally, they're like, oh, Jesus is being really clear here. But when has Jesus ever been really, really clear? Jesus is like, hey, when is this going to happen? And he'll be like, two men were walking down the street. You're like, I just want some specifics, Jesus. Uh, So so he, but he's not clear for a reason because there's something we want. He wants us to pull out of this. So why say all this? And I think it's this. The action item from this passage is not precise timetables and meticulous charts, but vigilant discipleship. This is the goal of the text because remember I said earlier when you study 
end times, it's easy to get stuck in an OO loop that we observe, we orient, we create charts and timetables, but we never have a place of decision and action. Well, Jesus is very clear in this passage that the most important thing is decision and action. To stay focused on discipleship, to stay faithful through the hard times because he's saying that there was hard times coming and there'll be hard times coming in the future. And if you're in this room, you may be in some hard times right now. What Jesus is telling is to learn the lesson of discipleship, to remain faithful through the present and future suffering. He's teaching us faithfulness. The way he was faithful to the cross that happens right after this, he is teaching us the same faithfulness. So how do we move towards faithfulness? I'm going to put a couple of verses from this passage on the screen. I want you guys to see if y'all can figure out what Jesus is calling us to do here. All right, first one, watch out that no one deceives you. You must be on guard or be alert. So be on guard, be on guard, be alert. Therefore, keep watch. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. So what do you think Jesus is trying to tell us to do here? Watch. Be alert. Observe and orient the things around us. Be on guard. Be looking for things in our life, things in the world. Be looking. Be watchful. Be alert. But what he doesn't say is this. He says, don't be watchful for the end. Be watchful till the end. Because that's one of the temptations. Oh, I saw this in the news. This must be this. this must, there was a war in Ukraine. That must be this. That must be this. Jesus never points us in that direction. He says, don't be watchful for the end. Be watchful till the end. Faithfulness continuing in watchfulness. The spiritual discipline of watchfulness till the end. Because you do not know the hour. Only thing we know is we have today and being watchful in today. And then picking up the same watchfulness tomorrow. Because... We shouldn't be faithful in the end. We shouldn't decide at the end of our lives or the end of all things, I'm going to be faithful now. We should be faithful till the end. That faithfulness is a long progression. That what we should be doing is having a long, careful, vigilant eye on truth. Truth in our life and looking and using the OODA loop to orient ourselves to what we know, to observe in our life and say, is there anything here that does not belong, Lord? that we're observing what God's doing in our life in a daily way. We're watchful for God moving in our life. And I, I'm just gonna say this as a side note. If we know more about what a politician did today than what God did today, then we're missing the mark. If we know more about what other people are doing but we can't see God moving in our life, we are focusing our watchfulness on the wrong things. That we're focused on the wrong issues. That we should be faithful to what God has said and what God is doing, be faithful to the end. Because here's the thing, Jesus is telling them there's gonna be some hard things happen. And we know that love grows cold when difficulty happens. We see it in marriages, we see it in relationship that love grows cold when difficulty happens. But Jesus is saying, do not let it be watchful for your faithfulness. Because we may not be brought before councils in our lifetime. Our kids may not be brought before councils in our lifetime, but we will be brought before Jesus at the end of our life, and he will say if we were faithful or not. 
We may not be brought before councils, but it says we'll be hated for Christ's name, and we may already be hated in Christ's name. But what if this is actually the easiest it's ever been to follow Christ, and it's only going to get harder? What tool does he give us? Watchfulness and faithfulness. Because he say this, stay watchful to remain faithful. We stay watchful to remain faithful because what are the things when someone's keeping watch over something, when someone's alerted, they, you watch and you guard things that are precious to you. You watch and you guard things that are precious to you. So we stay watchful to remain faithful. You watch over what you want to protect. When you build walls around something, it's because you want to protect it. They built walls around the temple so that they could protect the temple. They guard it over. They would not let anything unholy inside of it. We stay watchful to remain faithful. And that's what they did with the temple. So I'll say this to you. You are a temple. And what I mean by that is God once said, I will dwell with my people. I will be their God and they will be my people. He dwelled in the Garden of Eden with God. They walked with God. He dwelled with them like a temple. In the tent of meeting, he dwelled with his people in the wilderness. And then they built the temple. Then he dwelled in the holiest of holies. God dwelled with his people. But then Jesus said, all that is gone. That's going to be destroyed. There is a new way, a new hope where God once dwelled with his people. Now he dwells in his people. We are now the temple. As the church, we are the temple. You are a temple of the Holy Spirit. Look what scripture says in 1 Corinthians. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple? And that God's spirit dwells in your midst. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person. For God's temple is sacred and you together are that temple. We together are a temple. We're individual temples. We are together. Look what this next passage says. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built. Notice this temple language built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus. He himself is the chief cornerstone. When you're building a temple, you need to know the cornerstone, which is Jesus. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you are too being built together and become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. We are the temple of God. Now you, as followers of Christ, you have the Holy Spirit in you. John Bunyan talks about the city and in the city, there's gates. And in the gates, you have the eye gate, the ear gate, the nose gate, and the feel gate. And the thing about these gates is they are impossible to to be broken down from the outside. That the only way you can get into the city is if someone in the inside lets it in. For us as the temple, we are the guard. And the things we have to be watchful over is the things that we have allowed into our own lives. Because, yes, I believe the abomination that caused desolation, the desecration of the temple happened in the destruction of the temple. And I believe it will happen again. But between those two things, I believe that we allow little abominations that cause desolation in our own lives. We allow unholy things into our temple that do not belong. And when Jesus, when he went to the temple and found things that did not belong, what did he do? He flipped over tables. And I'm not telling you to flip over tables. What I'm telling us is to look inward and find the tables that we need to flip over in our own heart. The things that do not belong. The things that we have allowed into our life. And we do that on this OODA loop of observing who Christ was, observing what is holy, and then orienting ourselves through that knowledge that we gain through reading scripture. And then we decide what must go. And then we act on those things. 
by being watchful and faithful. So I say it like this, the way of watchfulness, this is the what. The first thing is that we need to guard your heart. Proverbs 4.23 says, above all else, guard your heart for everything you will do flows from it. This is the truth. If war is all about deception and disguise and deceiving us, we are in a spiritual war. Everything in your life is at war for your hearts. They want you to believe the idea that they're trying to get across, that everything is at war, that our enemy is called the father of lies, the father of deception, wants you to be deceived. That has been his method from the garden to now to deceive. But on our OODA loop, the OODA loop is created for us to find deception, that we know the truth and we filter the truth through that, that we need to guard our hearts, the things that we allow to affect us, to fight this war in our heart. The second thing is this, guard your mind. Guard your mind. What are the things we're allowing into our mind? And honestly, just on the practical level, what are we watching? What are we listening to? Because everything we're watching and listening to is time to send us on a path. Let me give you an example. Is there a show, if you have kids, is there a show that you watch that you wouldn't watch in front of your kids? Probably yes. But let me ask you this. Why would you not watch it in front of your kids? You're like, oh, because it has this, this, and this in it. And I don't want them to see those things. Because it may influence them in the wrong direction. It may desecrate them and send them the wrong message. We're like, well, if they could influence them, how come it won't influence you? You're like, oh, well, that stuff doesn't bother me anymore. Well, that's an even deeper question that we've hardened our heart to these things. And I only say that to say, are we careful about what we allow into our temple? Are we careful about what we're watching? Are we careful about the things in our life? Because the things that we watch in our mind and heart flows out of who we are, which moves us to this scripture. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Preserve in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and the hearers. You're like, Jacob, isn't this talking about teachers? Well, yes, it's talking about watch your life and your doctrine closely or your teaching closely. We are all teachers of the gospel. People are looking to us, whether it be our family, neighbors, coworkers, they're looking to us and watching what the gospel is, that we should watch your life and doctrine closely, your heart and your mind. And then we should guard the hearts and minds of those in your care. We should guard the people that God has put in our life, our neighbors, our coworkers. And if you have kids, your kids. And I don't mean be helicopter parents. I mean, protect them and be watchful over them. I ask myself this question all the time. Am I letting YouTube and video games form my kids or I'm letting the word of God and the people of God form my kids? I have to ask myself that question. And how, what am I allowing into their mind? Just recently, I'm a parent, I made a mistake. Uh, my son wanted to watch this YouTube video. It was, a, it was a, a video of people comparing bats, baseball bats. Like, hey, this bat's better than other. Let's go hit them and see which one's better. I was like, oh, this is fine. And as I'm watching, I notice every once in a while they slip in just a little curse word. And I was like, that's, he missed that. He won't even hear that. I was like, that's fine. You can watch it. He watches it because they'll hit a home run. They'll drop that small little word. And the next day after I let him watch it, he's sitting there playing with something. It's my nine-year-old. He's like, Boom, drops it in a sentence. And I was like, oh, dad fell. Shame on my heart. And I'm like, son, that's a bad word. And he was like, oh, man, now I know two. And I'm like, what's the other one? Never mind, don't tell me. But it's, it's just a little thing, but it just shows you just the smallest thing influences your kids. And what are you allowing into their minds? 
So that's the what, then here's the how. In the word, we guard and watch in the word. We don't know where we're being deceived if we don't know the truth. That's our orientation to what we know, the, the, the information we bring in. If you're not daily in the word, be daily in the word. That's how we protect ourselves to deception. We study the word of God because when all else fall, falls away, it's the only thing that will stay. And then in prayer, both of these passages say, the end is near, be watchful in prayer. That we pray, we spend time with God, protecting our heart, protecting our families, praying for our families, and then in community. The best way the OODA loop works is basically not just for one person. It is for a team of people together that are observing, orienting, deciding, and acting, and bringing what they're learning together. And that's what community does, that the best way to be watchful is together, and the best way, best way to be faithful is in community. And if you're here at Rolling Hills, we don't have groups just because it's fun to do. We think it would be awesome to add to your schedule. We do it because we really believe that God transforms us more in community. And we know that each of you are in a different place in your life and you need a different type of group. That's why we have three different kinds of groups here. We have Care Night, which is on Tuesday nights where we have grief share, divorce care, marriage studies. We have a, a multi, multi, bunch of different ones wherever you are in your walk where you need to be in a Care Night group. Those start in August. You can sign up for those now. We have community groups that meets in homes all across this city meeting weekly. It goes with the school schedule. So it starts in August 28th where you meet weekly, study the Bible. Often it's questions from the sermon where you can go deeper, places where you can study the word of God together. The midweek discipleship groups, we have the gathering in AM and PM for women. We have verses groups on Wednesday night and a co-ed group of Mike Mentor uh, teaching through Jonah. All these things to say, hey, I know to be faithful and watchful, I need to be here every Sunday. I'm going to get my family, even when it does, they don't feel like it, I'm going to get them here on Sunday, but sometimes we need that midweek of jumping in and studying the word as we're having a tough week, being in the word together. That's what midweek provides. And we have kids, students, all of them here together to where you can be watchful in season together. But I want to, I want to end by saying this. The last thing Jesus says is this, what I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. He ends with a command to us. He says, I was saying this other stuff to you, but now I say this to everyone. He's saying to us in this room, be watchful. Be watchful over our hearts. Be watchful over our minds. Be watchful over our family. Do that in the word. Do that in prayer. Do that in community. That this is what God's calling us to do together, to be watchful. So we watch for ways to protect, but we also watch for ways to act. Jesus says in this passage, the reason he says in another passage as well, the reason I have not returned yet is because there's still work to do. The work is to get the gospel to everyone who needs to hear it. That we have neighbors, coworkers, friends, even family members who do not know Jesus. I wait out of grace. But that means that we should be watchful of work to do of the people that God's put in our life to act and get the gospel truth, to get the truth to. And then in turn, we protect them and we're watchful for them and we bring them into the company that one day at the end of all things, when Jesus does return, when he comes back, it says in Revelation that we'll be singing, holy, holy, holy is the lamb. And our goal as missionaries where we are is to make sure there are more people singing, holy, holy, holy is the lamb because God deserves every voice because he is good. We want that for his glory. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for your word, even in a difficult passage that your spirit would come in and teach us and change us and show us as we observe 
your word and we orient ourselves to who you are and what you've taught us, Lord, that we would decide and act to be watchful and faithful till the end, God. And I pray if there's anybody in this room that does not know you, Lord, that if you were to come back today and they would stand before you, they would not have a good answer, Lord, that their answer should be you, Lord, I love you and I've lived my life for you. And his answer would be well done, faithful servant, Lord. May they come to know you today in this room. And for all of us, may we be watchful. May we be faithful by the power of your spirit, through your word. In the name of Jesus, amen. That's the end of this episode on the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast, part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network. Before you go, we invite you to think about who you could share this sermon with. Click the subscribe button so you can be notified each time we release a new sermon. Did you know Rolling Hills publishes other podcasts too? Check out the Making History Parenting Podcast, Men's Leadership Network, and the RH Women's As You Go Podcast. If you're interested in learning more about Rolling Hills, download our app, follow us on social media, or visit our website at rollinghills.church. We're glad you spent some time with us today. Have a great week.